You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Be seated and we'll jump right into the day. Um, Over the last couple of months, I've just kind of been, you know, just doing a, I guess, an evaluation on... uh, on where I am spiritually. You ever, you ever do that? Take some time just to evaluate yourself, see where you've gone. Um, and, and, I, and I've picked up on some stuff that, uh, that I've just been wrestling with, and I've finally gotten to a place where I feel like they can be discussed and we can work these things out together. But I have learned that there are some things in my life that I've got to detox from spiritually. Anybody else ever recognize there may be some stuff in your life that we need to do? De- because we've always heard it this way. We've always done it this way. So we should continuously do, and do it that way, right? Um, but if you keep doing the same things and you're not seeing the results, that's the definition of insanity. Am I right? And, and so what happens is, especially in church culture, we get caught up because we've heard this all of our lives. We've been told this by some pastor with a degree hanging on their wall. But we've never taken the time to truly learn it for ourselves and experience it for ourselves. We're just going off of the wisdom of other people. And, and I got a degree on my wall, but so do a lot of other people. And you can have the exact same degree. It's not that difficult. You read the Bible, study it, write a couple of papers, you get a degree. Okay? That's, that's what we got. But it's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the piece of paper that I want on my wall. The education of the Holy Spirit that teaches us, comforts us, counsels us, sends us on these journeys that sometimes are hard to see where he's taking us, but he weaves us along the way on the path of righteousness where we need to be with the Lord. And so here's what I'm going to ask you this morning. I'm going to ask you for one, for the, I guess for the next few minutes, is to just hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you this morning. Because I believe that if we'll listen and hear, there's some stuff he wants to shake in your life. And I, and I believe wholeheartedly that our church is on the edge of, of having some, some spiritual breakthroughs and really moving into some places that we want to move spiritually, spiritual growth-wise. But in order to do that, we got to detox from stuff that we've been taught all of our lives that may not be correct. Okay? You with me? So... Can we talk about faith this morning? Faith for the impossible this morning, right? There, there are things that seem impossible that we've prayed for, and they didn't come true, and so we stopped praying for them. There are things that seem too impossible that we're not going to pray for them because they just seem too impossible. And so I want to talk this morning just on this topic of having faith for the impossible thing. This is not a cheerleading sermon. This is not a uh, to make you feel better and that God's going to give you everything that you want sermon. Because here's the thing. God's not going to give you everything you want. Because if he did, some of those things you want, you're going to find out you didn't need. And so we need to be okay with not getting everything that we want. Right? I mean, my kids want to drive the car. If you, if you think that I'm a bad dad for not giving them the keys to the car at 12 years old and 11 years or 10 years, however old our kids are, I can't do math very well. I'm not, I'm not giving my three-and-a-half-year-old the key. I don't want him on the golf cart. You know what I mean? So, like, some things we just can't handle. He wants it, but it would not turn out well for him. In Matthew 17, 
Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, that if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, very small, you don't have to have a whole lot of it, just a little bit. He says that you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, because nothing would be impossible, right? Now, he's not saying that you physically go to the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and you stand in the valley, and you start shouting at that mountain, and it's just going to get out of your way. But what he was saying is what, what would happen if you had that kind of faith that you would step out in the valley and start speaking that to the mountain? What if you had that kind of faith? What if you had the faith as Noah when it hasn't rained in the desert forever, but yet God told you to build an ark. You didn't even know what an ark was because you didn't have ever had any need for a boat because you were just out there with the animals and just kind of out there in the desert. But you had the faith to sit out in the desert when everybody else told you, what are you doing? You're crazy. But when the rain started to drop, he wasn't so crazy anymore, was he? Everybody realized that maybe he was right. And, and Jesus is saying here, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not pulling your leg. I'm not trying to pull a trick. I tell you the truth. If you had this kind of faith, nothing would be impossible. Nothing. Now, would you agree with me that we make way too many assumptions about what is and what is not possible? We make way too many assumptions about that. And the Bible says that if we want to activate this seed of faith, and if we, if we pay attention to it and we have this faith in God, then nothing would be impossible. That, that we would stop, we'd stop worrying about things. We'd stop saying, well, I don't have this or I don't have that, so I can't be this or I can't be that. Let me tell you something. When, when Jesus is in your life, you've got everything you could ever need. He's more than enough. He's not just enough. He's more than enough. That's what the Bible says. And in John chapter 1, verse 37, he, he, Jesus is trying to get this point across that, that there's nothing that would be impossible. Because in John 1, he says there, there's absolutely nothing that is impossible with God. Nothing. He can do whatever he wants. I, I was teaching a class the other day, and one of my kids says, does God still heal dead people? I said, I'm sure he does. Well, have you ever risen everybody from the dead? No, but that would be sweet. That would be an incredible ministry to go break up funerals and just heal people. I said, but you know who did? The disciples did. Well, why can't we still do that today? I said, I don't think that we still do that today because we don't, we don't know who the Holy Spirit is. We don't, we don't understand the power that God has. Can God still raise the dead today? This, this verse says that there's nothing impossible. See, I think a lot of things, and don't get weirded out on me here, okay? Just hear me out. I'm not saying that we start a ministry next week where we're going to funeral homes, and that's what we're going to start doing. That's just pull, pull, pull back a little bit, okay? The word, there's a couple of words in our vocabulary as Christians we need to get away from. One of them is the word weird. That's weird. Or is that just normal to Scripture? But we'll say that's weird. Or the word impossible. That should not be in the vocabulary of a, a believer because we serve a God of the impossible who can do anything. It might be impossible for you. It's impossible for me, but it's not impossible to our Father who, are, who is our creator and our sustainer. It's not impossible for him. There have been times that I'm sure you, just like me, we face situations that, that seem like these situations are impossible and we can't, we can't see our way out of it. We don't know what's going to happen. It may have been in a relationship. It may have been financially. It may have been with a sickness. And we say it's just impossible. It'll never happen. 
But in God's hands, it, it is very possible. Because again, we serve a God of the possible. There's just this human tendency for us that, that we try to explain away things that we don't understand. Right? I mean, so I could have taken that question, does God still raise the dead? And I could have said, well, yeah, but, and I could have gone down that whole line. But what, as he asked that question, I was too reminded that we need to have faith like a child. This kid's asking these questions. Can he still raise people from the dead? But a lot of times we try to explain away things that we can't understand. And when we do that, we lose the mystery and we lose the miracles that God is doing around us. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean he's not doing it. Because I've been to other countries and I have seen God do incredible things in other places where their eyes were open to the spiritual. They were open to Jesus. They were open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. But we've gotten so comfortable here that our dependency is really just on ourselves. This last year has shown us that we cannot be dependent on ourselves. We need each other. Desperately need each other. That's why church online is not church online. It's a video. This is the church, the people, coming together to make and form the church. Because you and I need community. It's easy to be on the other side of that lens. And if you're watching, I'm not criticizing you, but I'm saying on the other side of that lens is no accountability. On the other side of that lens is isolation from your family. Here, we're in community together. We can stir one another, one another on. We can help each other. Because we need this community. We need, we need to be together. Because there's things that happen in this room sometimes that you'll never get to experience through the lens. Because God's doing something here. Do you, you believe that? Yeah. God, I truly believe that he is. I believe it. And, and you may not be there yet, but you're, you're going to because he's going to open your eyes to it. Because that's, that's what we've been praying for. So when we don't understand something, we, we, lose, we lose the miracle. We lose the mystery. And then we try to reduce God and we try to create God in our own image. And when we try to create God in our own image, we end up with what is a lowercase g God that looks a lot like you and me. Because we try to explain it away. A.W. Tozer said, what you end up with is a God who, you can, who can never surprise you, can never astonish you, can never overwhelm you, and can never transcend you when we are too busy trying to explain things away. That's not the God that I believe in, and that's not the God of the Bible. You believe that? It's okay to talk back this morning. We're going to have a conversation. Because I, I believe in a God who is high and exalted. I believe in a God that when he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. That his promises have zero expiration date. I believe that the scriptures, when it tells us in Ephesians that he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine, I believe that that's the truth. That's the God we serve. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are higher than mine. I believe God can break the laws of nature. With just four words, he said, let there be light. And there was light. With four words. He could have used one. But he chose to go above and beyond. I believe God still does miracles. I've seen them. I'm not just talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. Yeah, people have been healed of sicknesses. But people have also gone through turmoil and emotional distress in their lives, and God has rescued them. God has saved marriages. God has saved addiction. He still does those things. 
God can make cancer go away. God can bring peace and comfort. God can do anything that he wants to do because we serve a God of the impossible. Now, once we get that in our heads and we're like, okay, I'm believing that. Now, look what he says again. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say this to the mountain. Move from here and it'll move and say this with me. Nothing would be impossible. Now, we got to believe that. Because our faith is going to activate the impossible. If we don't believe that it can happen, we are missing out. We're missing out on more than what God, because if, if, we, if we can't believe that, then we can't believe that God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because more than we can ask or imagine, to me, seems like it's impossible. But, but God transcends that. So, so how, do we, how do we have a faith that views the impossible as possible? And how do we know like when we put constraints around it and where we just need to, to watch? And I'll tell you, the, the, the boundary that you need to put on this is whatever the gospel tells you the boundary is. And if you're not hearing it from the Spirit, then it's not true. But, but he can do the impossible. So in John chapter 11, we have the story of a man named Lazarus. He was buddies with Jesus. Jesus would often go and visit. Matter of fact, um, right before Jesus' crucifixion, when he goes to Passover and he enters the city, he spends some time in Jerusalem that day. And then he makes the seven-mile trek back into Bethany and he stays with his buddy Lazarus. And the Bible says this in John chapter 11. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, this is Mary who later would pour the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wipe them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Do you know what was wrong with her brother Lazarus? He was sick. Just wanted to make, they told us twice. They needed us to make sure he is sick. See, the Bible's not that difficult sometimes. So he's sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and he loved Lazarus, listen to this, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, hold on now. Where's the urgency in this? Because our brother's dying, your friend he is sick. In case you didn't know, he is sick, and he is your dear friend. I want you to know this is the language that's using here. There's a, a desperation. See, part of, part of having faith for things that are impossible, before you can believe the impossible, you have to have a relationship. There has to be a relationship. Because you have to trust God, and if you can't have a relationship with God, you can't have trust. Trust is built on relationships. And so verse 3 says, your dear friend Lazarus, the gospel's record that Jesus felt very comfortable in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Again, he visited this place very frequently. And he has a relationship, and they know him. They knew Jesus on a very personal level. You know how you know your friends? It's a very personal level. They trusted him. They knew that he was the Son of God. There was no question to them of who he was. He was indeed the Messiah. They knew that this is God. So this is more than just acquaintances. They're close friends. There's relationship that is happening. And they realize that they could not exercise faith if there's no relationship with God. You've you got to have a relationship. You've got to be in the Word. Because, see, a lot of times the reason that we don't see the miracles happening is because we don't know what the miracle is because we haven't been in the Word to give us the picture of what that looks like. We've got to be people of the Word. We, we can't just hit it every Sunday. 
we, we got to hit it on Monday. We got to hit it on Tuesday. And it doesn't matter if you're in it for five hours or just two minutes. You got to be in it. And if all you have is two minutes, I believe that if you put that two minutes into it, God will expand that time over time because you're going to realize that he's got something that he wants to teach you. And you're, there's going to be a longing and a desire to be in his word. So you've got you've to build this infrastructure and have a relationship with God. And the foundation of every relationship is trust. Can I trust you? Isn't it? Can I trust you with this information that I'm about to share with you? Can I trust you with this assignment? You know how you have a good friend? A good friend is one that you'll give your social security number to. Right? Not the email that came from the guy who has a million dollars that he needs to give somebody, but he's got to get it out of the country, so he needs their social security number. Not that guy. But if you can give your social security to somebody, right, that, that's, that's, there's a trust there, right? Now, if you take my social security number and try to take my identity, joke's on you. It's on you. Somebody did that one year, and they filed my taxes for me, which was so nice. Problem is, they didn't realize that I actually owed taxes that year, so that all worked out in my favor. So whoever you are from Russia or wherever you were, thanks. Um, the government still made me pay, too, so we double paid. Where are we at? Trust. IRS. Trust. There we go. Um, <clears throat> when Lazarus became sick, Mary and Martha knew exactly what they needed. You know why they knew what they needed? Because they had a relationship with the one that they needed. Because they trusted that he was the Messiah. So they're like, listen, he's sick, call Jesus. He wasn't the second option. He wasn't the third option. He was the first option. Like, our brother is sick, and we need to fix the issue. The only way to fix the issue is to go to the source who can fix the issue. So they, they immediately take it to Jesus, and they tell him, your friend's sick, and we need you to come. We need you to heal him. We know you're his only hope. And Jesus says, you got it. I'll see you in a few days. Now, while Jesus is hanging out for the next couple of days, in the meantime, don't you hate the meantime? God, I've been praying. What's he doing? I don't know. It's the meantime. The meantime is boring. There's a reason that when we watch sports, we only watch the action. Nobody watches the meantime. They don't show the camera and just let you watch people throw the ball around and warm up. That's boring. That's the meantime. We want to see the action. And there are times in our prayers, a lot of our prayer is meantime. Just waiting. And, and waiting is hard, isn't it? And we're sitting here in the silence and we're waiting. And so here they are. They, they, they make this cry. They make this request. They make this prayer, come heal our brother. Come heal your friend. And Jesus waits. Because I think there's sometimes that when we're waiting, stuff dies. There have been prayers that you've prayed, and God didn't answer them, and you just let them die. There were things that you were believing, hoping for, and you just lost faith, and you just let them die. Now, why didn't Jesus come? Because he knew, he knew the pain that they were about to go through. He knew the hurt and the fear that they were faced with. Why didn't Jesus come? Why did he hang out for a few more days before he did it? I believe he waited because he already revealed his healing power to him. I believe that there was something deep down inside of Mary and Martha that they knew that he could heal them. And see, raising a man from the dead was something that they had seen in other places, people being raised from the dead, but when it became personal, their faith got rocked a little bit. Their faith gets rocked a little bit. Because it's easy to pray for the miracles in other people's lives, isn't it? Because if he doesn't come through for them, then oh well. You know, I prayed for him. 
But when it comes to being personal, when we pray for God to do the personal things in our lives, it's a lot harder. And sometimes out of fear, we won't because we worry that God won't show up. He hasn't answered us in time. So we let those prayers die. So they thought, okay, raising our, our brother would be impossible. I need Jesus to get here before he dies. Because we have seen him heal people from sickness, and we would like that to happen. But Jesus was like, it was time to unveil his resurrection power. Because they haven't seen that. Because Jesus is going to do something that nobody else has ever done. The other miracles have happened. There have been numerous miracles reported in the Jewish history. But nobody has ever raised themselves from the dead. Jesus was the only one. And so he knew it was time to unveil his resurrection power. But the problem was you can't resurrect what has not died. So he was intentionally letting this thing die so he can go and make a resurrection. Does that make sense? There's sometimes that God didn't answer your prayer because he needs that to die so it can be resurrected. And sometimes he needs that to die so it can die. Because, again, sometimes the things we pray aren't always the things that we need. So if you're praying for the impossible to happen in your life and you feel like you're in this holding pattern, it might be that you're in the holding pattern because God's trying to teach you something and he's trying to work something behind the scenes. Is that not what happened all throughout the book of Ruth? That God is working something behind the scenes? There's prayers being prayed, but they're not happening in the way that she prayed. But God comes through. And so there may be something that might have to die first before he can resurrect it. Like I think about, we, my wife and I prayed for like eight years for an adoption in Haiti. And it seemed like every time we would start taking steps, stuff would happen. Now, you go to China and adopt, it's about a year. And we prayed, and we would make progress, and then things would happen, and then thing, paperwork would get held up. I mean, a paper that should have taken like five minutes to get on somebody's desk and sign took years, months. And there were points that we thought, is, should we do this? Are we still, we're getting older, right? And we keep praying, and we get towards the tail end of this thing, and the country goes crazy. People are dying. Starvation's happening. It's unsafe to go into the country. And then they tell us that they didn't think that they can get his passport. I can tell you, we started believing for the impossible. We started making phone calls to people we had no idea who they were. We started calling politicians and making all kinds of promises. I got to vote for some people this go round. <laughs> but they made the impossible happen. We know who the person is that works at the U.S. Customs Office that's responsible for the paperwork because we have talked to them multiple times. They know us. They're probably on caller ID at this point. But we knew we had prayed and God had said yes, so we kept pursuing. And then we got that phone call in just a few days. Let's go. It's, it's, it's complete. It's praying for things that seemed impossible, like it would never happen. But God didn't tell us to stop praying. And there are prayers that for you that he didn't tell you to stop praying. You've been there? You, you don't understand what I'm saying. Like, there are things that you've prayed for, and maybe, maybe you're there right now, and you've done everything you know to do, and, and God, God hasn't shown up. Maybe there are prayers you prayed, and he didn't show up. I mean, we can be honest, right? This is, this is a community of honesty. You, you've been there where you've prayed and the situation seems to go from bad to worse. And it's like, what's the, let, me, let me just fill in the blank for you. Because when that happens, we say, what's the point? What's the point in all of this? If God's not even listening to me, can I just tell you this, that God is always listening to you? The problem is we're not always seeing it. And if we don't have the relationship, it's really hard to see. Because sometimes we can't trust that he's there. 
So just because God hasn't done something yet doesn't mean that God is still not in charge and that he's still not working. So you got to have a relationship, but you also got to have a, a moment of release. If you want impossible to happen, you got to have a moment of release. Having faith for the impossible means you need to release things. You got to let it go. There's sometimes that we try to have so much control. You got to recognize that you can't do anything about the situation that you're facing. Right? We can't do anything about when we're trying to control something that we can't control, which is everything. Because we're we're control freaks, many of us, aren't we? Like I don't like just jump in the car and go. I like to know where we're going, how we're going, when we're going, what we're going to do when we get there, how much is this going to cost me when we're coming back. Anybody else mind work that way? I need to know. Like when I'm going, I know what gas station I want to stop at. They got the best snacks. I don't care what the gas price is. You got to have car snacks, right? Like you need to know. Like now I know there's a Bucky's on the way to Disney. So guess what the new stop is? That's where we stop. I don't care if the kids have to use the bathroom two hours, but that's where we stop. You got, you, you feel like we got to have this control. You don't, ladies, if you don't believe it, when you go home today, football's on, hide the remote. I'll give free marriage counseling after the fact. Hide the remote. When a remote control's gone, we go ballistic. Where's the remote? Where, where'd the remote go? I mean, we, we have, and you know when you have kids, they get stuck down in the cushions, and then they, you find them in places that they don't belong, like out in the bushes in the front yard, you know what I'm saying? And then you buy new remotes. We keep buying new remotes, and we find out. We, we got about 10 Apple remotes in our house right now. Apple is the worst when it comes to remote. Build a big remote, put a hubcap around it, just like they do the bathroom keys and the gas stations. Because... When we don't have the remote, there's no control. Like, we feel like, where is it at? I don't know what it is about we feel like as men, if the remote control is nowhere for us to grab, we have lost all power in the universe. God forbid we have to get up and punch the button. Right? We lose it. Because we're people that feels like we have to have some type of control. And we do this with situations in our life that, yeah, I know I should be praying about this, and I know what the Scripture said, but I got this. That will get you in trouble. I can't tell you how many times I've used those terms, I got this. And then you do it, and you realize, I don't got this. Like, I have made a mess of this. And then i got to come to God and say, hey, you remember that little problem that, that, that I had? I tried to fix it, and it got worse. You ever had a spill on the floor? And it, the more you wipe it, the worse it gets. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go get you some Chinese food today and get the red sauce and spill it on your floor. Not your carpet, just your normal floor. You will say things and think things that you didn't know that you could say or think trying to clean it up because it just creates a bigger mess. And when we step in and trying to fix things, rather than getting God involved in the solution to start with, we just create a bigger mess. And we just sit there in our frustration. There's got to be a moment that we release this thing over to God and say, listen, this is yours. I'm going to trust. I'm going to do whatever it is that you tell me to do. I'm going to give up control. So as long as you're holding on to problems, you're not going to go anywhere. You've got to let go. Because you can't take hold of the things that God has for you if you're holding on to the past. And so there's, there's got to be some things that you've got to give God the full control. And this is what they did with Lazarus. They did, they did all they knew to do, but it didn't work. 
they, they put rags on his head to cool them down. They prayed for him. They probably put, I don't know, they, they did whatever they could do for him. And the only thing they could do was release him to burial. That's all they could do was bury the guy. And they gave up hope that, that Jesus was going to answer their request because they had asked days ago for him to come and heal Lazarus from the sickness, and he didn't. And whenever we have a problem and we can't fix it, our tendency is just to push it to the side. Or, in the case of what they did, they just roll a stone in front of it. Well, God didn't answer. I'm just going to put a stone in front of this. Because I don't ever want to go back to that place. Because if I go back to that place, then I've got to uncover some things that are painful. I've got to uncover some things that hurt. I've got to uncover some things that I don't want to deal with. I'm going to have to tell myself the truth about some things. And we don't ever want to go back to those places. So when it seems like God doesn't show, it's just a lot easier for us to cover those things up than it is to actually deal with those. Am I right? You do that. I know I do it, so you got to do it too, right? It's a lot easier for me to, to just cover this thing up and just, just not talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Because it's a lot easier just to ignore it and put a stone in front of it than it is to actually deal with it. God didn't show up. They buried him. They covered up the tomb. It's done. God's not answering your prayer, so you roll a stone on that prayer and you move on. Now, how many of you are like me? You've covered up some unanswered prayers. There's some things that you've prayed, and they haven't happened, and now you've covered them up, and you don't want to go back to those places because it didn't happen the way you thought it would happen. Maybe in hopes that it would go away. Maybe hopes that you could fix it, realize you didn't, God didn't come through, it wasn't on your timetable, so you just covered up. You, you've believed as far as you can believe, but nothing else is going to happen. So you, you have to roll the stone in front of it because that's how you manage the problems you can't fix. You just cover it up and you move on. And we, ro we roll stones in front of broken marriages. We roll stones in, in front of uh, just addictions. We roll stones. I mean, there's so many things that we can roll stones in front of and not have to deal with it. And God's, and if you haven't learned yet, Jesus is notorious for moving stones out of the way. That he'll move it out of the way. So that he, because he moved the stone out of the way because he dealt with the stuff that we didn't want to deal with. He took the sin that was rightfully ours. So sometimes we, we want to roll the stone. Jesus wants to roll it, roll it away so we can fix, he can fix the issues that seem impossible. Look at verse 17. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, oh boy, I can't imagine what it was like when he rolled up and Mary and Martha were going, mm-mm, mm-mm. They started taking the earrings out, and they were, uh-uh, where were you at? You know what I'm talking about? When you did something wrong and you came home to mama, mm-mm. When that teacher called before you could get home to take the phone off the line, y'all know what I mean? Oh, you know. No, I don't. One time the teacher called my mom and I beat her home. And I answered the phone and pretended to be my dad. It worked. Until the next teacher conference when she said, yeah, I called and talked to his dad a couple of weeks ago. Uh-oh. It didn't work. I was praying for the impossible. He says when he arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. And Jesus was like, yeah, I knew that. I knew all things. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha. Oh, it's going to be okay. We get it. And they're like, no, you don't. We went to Jesus to ask for help, and he didn't even come through. He's been hanging out with his buddies a few miles away. 
It's not like he was overseas or anything. He was just a few miles down the road. So when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mary stayed in the house. That would not have been a good thing. Mary's like, I'm not, I'm not even talking to him. He can stay right where he is. I don't, he, matter of fact, he can stay in the yard. He's not getting any of the macaroni, none of the fried chicken, none of the food. He can stay right out there. Because he, he should have shown up a few days ago when it, when it was time. When Martha got the word, she goes to meet him. Mary stays. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, had you been here, we wouldn't be in this mess right now. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. My brother would have never died had you been here. But you didn't show up. Had you been here, he would not have died. In other words, you took too long. Imagine telling that to Jesus. Oh, wait, we have. We have. You took too long. Where were you at? Did you not see this happening? My world's falling apart. I feel like nobody cares. I feel like you're distant. Where are you at? Why didn't you do this when you could have done something about it? But remember, just because something's dead doesn't mean it can't be resurrected. It doesn't mean it can't be resurrected. You may feel dead in your delay, but you're waiting on some answered prayer and some results. It's in the waiting that we, our relationship with him grows because the trust grows. The faith grows in the waiting. She's like, where were you four days ago? Jesus was used to getting good treatment. All of a sudden, the treatment's not so good. It's a little hostile environment. But when people are under crisis and stress and they've rolled a stone in front of the problem, people get passive aggressive really quickly, don't they? Cut somebody off in traffic. See how that works out. They get very passive aggressive, right? But something happened in their conversation. She, she has this, what we would call a revelation. You got you to have revelations. If you want to see the impossible happen, you want to see God do things that you've never seen before, you, you got to have some revelation. You, you need a revelation. You need to remember that God is able. You need to remember that nothing is impossible for him. You need to remember that his faithfulness is better than anything you've ever had. It's the thing that you can always trust in. you got to have this revelation. In the midst of her pain and confusion, look what she says in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And if we stop that story right there, it ends very painfully. But look at verse 22. But even now, even in the moment that he's not breathing anymore and there's a stone in front of the tomb and he's been dead for days, even now I know that God will give whatever you ask. So here's what I'm asking you. Get him out of that grave. Because I'm believing. Mary's in the house. She misses. She misses out on the conversation. And Martha says, even now. It's bad. His body smells. He's been decaying. We've been mourning for weeks. But even now, all the odds are against us. But I believe that even now you can raise him from the dead. I, I still believe in this. I still believe you can do this. The challenge of every follower of Jesus is to believe that it takes faith that you have in your heart. And you've got to apply this faith that we learn to the issues that are in front of you. The obstacles that seem impossible, it needs to go to the place where you gave up. What did you give up? Go back to that place and pick it back up and ask God what he wants to do. I know that there's a peace in quitting sometimes, isn't there? Sometimes it's just easier for us to quit. Because when we say I quit, what we're saying is I'm through. Because we don't want the pain of expectation. 
We don't, we don't want to deal with what may come if, if things don't happen. So sometimes it just feels good to quit. And quitting never, never works. Because we, when we quit, we just give up on what God's trying to do through us. It's not always comfortable. Because remember, He's developing our character. And you'll begin to say things like, well, that's just how it is. That always happens. Every time I pray, this is the same old thing old, old, always. And you quit. And you resolve in your mind that nothing will ever get better because you don't want to stir up your issues again. But Jesus is saying this. No, show me. Show me. Let, let me see. If you want things to get better, you've got to take the stone that you rolled over the problem and roll it out of the way and expose those things to Jesus. And let him pick it back up. Because when you do that, you have this, this next word is restoration. That God restores you. God God wants to restore the things in your life that have died, the prayers that have died. But if you're not willing to roll the stone back and believe again, you're going to be stuck in the same place. It takes faith for impossible things to happen. It, it takes faith to get this resurrection, uh, this restoration. Uh, you have to be willing to confront the stuff in your life to be restored. God's not sitting on a throne of judgment, casting down judgment on you constantly. We're so afraid to expose ourselves to him because we're worried that he's going to reject us. God's not going to reject you. He tells us that his love, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. He's not intimidated by your sin. He took that and nailed it to a cross. He loves you for who you are. He wants to change you. He wants to draw you closer to him. And Mary and Martha are about to have their hopes and restored for a healing. And they thought it was over. I heard this quote years ago, and I wrote it, I have it written down in my Bible, but it says to never, ever, ever put a comma where God puts a period and never put a period where God puts a comma. Because we sometimes just live on the other side of the comma, but we'll put a period there. We just need to put a comma because that's part one. There's a part two. Aren't you glad the Bible didn't end with just the Old Testament? I mean, it would point to Jesus, but then Jesus would never come. There are a lot of crazy things that happened in the Old Testament. It's messed up. Old Testament, and then Jesus comes. So glad for part two. That was, the, that was the comma. But what if we just would have put a period in between the Old Testament and never had New Testament? We wouldn't be here. So here, Lazarus is dead for four days. They had put a period on it. He's done. Jesus didn't. Jesus had a comma. Remember, he said the sickness will not end in death. He had already given this promise, but sometimes in the middle of the pain, Jesus gives us promises, and we have amnesia, and we forget these things. And Lazarus dies, but it wasn't over. It wasn't over. And maybe for you, there are things that God's saying, it's not over. I need you to pick it back up. We need to unroll some stuff. We need to, we need to push through. And you may think that, that there's, there's a period that goes there, but it doesn't. You may think that life is over, but it's not. Because when God is in the equation, everything changes. Oswald Chambers said this, that sometimes it looks like God is missing, is missing the mark. Because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming for. Sometimes it looks like God's missing the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he is aiming for. See, we, we see in the remaining verses that the people were short-sighted. Watch this. We're going to finish up here in just one second. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Can I just tell you that God, God cares? In just a couple of verses from here, you're going to see that Jesus weeps. God cries tears over us. That's his love for us. 
And he says, where have you put him? In other words, Jesus wants to see the problem. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. He wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? See how much he loved him? He's crying over him. But they, they're fixing to realize how much Jesus really did love him. But some said this man healed a blind man, but couldn't he have kept life? He's always a naysayers. Because anytime you're believing for impossible things, praying for things that don't seem normal, there's always going to be the naysayers. But, but some said this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus alive from dying? Now, if I'm Jesus right there, I'm probably going to backslide for a second and strike them with mute lightning or something, but he doesn't. He gives them grace. Jesus was still angry as he arrived to the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. He said, roll that stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell is going to be awful. That was the problem. That was her problem. It was like, we don't want to smell that. Because remember, when you expose something, you've got to deal with what's in there. So they bring Jesus over to the spot where Lazarus was, and he's about to do something they've never seen before. And he's going to raise this man back to, back to the dead. Or back, he's going to raise him back to the dead. He's going to raise him from death to life. He says in verse 40, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you? I've heard that a lot in my prayers with him. I don't know if you have. But when I'll say, I don't know what's going on. Well, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Well, what did you say? He didn't say anything in that prayer, right? So what was Jesus doing in the four days prior to being here? I believe that he was praying for this whole situation. I mean, he was mapping out in his head what this was going to look like. We're going we're gonna to let everybody get there and I'm going to resurrect. And he says, you always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people. You know how you're praying? He's like, listen, I said it out loud so all these people hear me. Father, thank you for hearing me. Naysayers in the room. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. He was, he was held captive to his death. And his face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. Think about it. You want to be restored. The restoration has to come when the stone is moved away and you come out and God starts to unwrap the inner workings of you that have been damaged to expose them. You know when you have wound care that you have to unwrap and rewrap every day to continue the process of the healing? It hurts. But you can't just put a bandage on it and hope that it all goes away. It's got to be exposed. It's got to be treated. It's got to be taken care of. Jesus goes down to this tomb, and he could have literally just called Lazarus out of the tomb. But for the benefit of the people, Jesus calls Lazarus in this loud voice. There's nothing silent about it. He doesn't go into the tomb. Jesus just stands outside the mess, and he calls. Jesus stands outside our mess and just calls. That's a part of the faith that when you start moving, that sometimes you've got to stand up in the face of silence. Sometimes you've got to begin making proclamations and promises over the issues that you're facing. God gave us the promises. There's a ton of them in the scripture. Silence screams when we're waiting to hear for something. When we're, when we're in that waiting moment, we will hear all kinds of stuff. But if we don't have that relationship, we will never truly hear the voice of God. Because we'll start hearing our doubts. We'll start hearing our guilt. We'll start hearing our condemnation. And can I just tell you that God doesn't speak condemnation and guilt and doubts over your life. 
you have the wrong voice. Put horns on it, call it what it is, and remind the enemy that we have overcome him with the power of the blood and the word of our testimony per revelation. Amen. If you're a believer, you have authority to speak that. You have authority to speak that over the enemy. So Lazarus comes out, he's exposed, he's healed, and people are in absolute shock. And what they don't realize is just, just, this is just a setup. Because Jesus is going to be in a tomb in just a few weeks. And he's going to be in a tomb for three days and he's going to resurrect himself. And don't think for one moment when that stone was rolled away that Martha and Mary and Lazarus didn't think, oh, this seems very familiar. They didn't need an angel telling them that he wasn't there. They knew. Because they had experienced the power of Jesus. So here's the challenge. I want to give you two things this morning I think are our challenge. There's something that you've rolled a stone in front of that you pronounced dead because you decided that it was just too impossible to overcome, that God wasn't answering you. And what I'm telling you this morning is you need to bring that back to Jesus. You need to continue praying on those things. If you feel like he didn't answer your prayer, you need to go back and keep praying. Listen, keep praying for things until he tells you to stop. If he didn't tell you to stop, keep praying. A lot of our prayers aren't answered because we stop praying. And he wants us to pray so in the right season the harvest comes. The things that he wants to do comes in those moments. Some of you this weekend are going to hear God calling your voice. Calling with your, his voice. He's going to ask you to, to make some moves. There's some stuff the Holy Spirit's stirring up right now in you. This is part of the detox. That when we approach church or the gospel or Jesus as just a cultural thing, and we take all these things we've ever heard about them. It doesn't really get us a whole lot of places. But we, when we believe, because this is what faith is, it comes down to these two things. Faith is believing that he can do whatever he says he can do. And that he is who he says he is. And I'm telling you, I will put my money on the guy that raised himself from the dead. Nobody else has done that. And so this morning... I want you to hear that voice. I want you to put to death the doubts. I want you to put to death the word, it's too impossible, it's too weird. And I want you to start using Holy Spirit language of restoration. I want you to change your language. Start believing that God can do the impossible because he wants to in your life. Not for you but for his glory. Because why did Jesus say that he was resurrecting Lazarus? He said, I'm doing this for the glory of the Father. So Father, we thank you this morning for who you are, and I pray that our faith would be stretched so much. We get so complacent. We get so caught up in the mundane, so caught up in the illusion that we just go through the motions. But I, I, I pray that we would truly see that you can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And when we pray things that we believe that you can do far more. Because if we would pray with that manner, God, I know that our conversations with you would be completely different. And so today I just pray that, again, faith is stretched and we clearly hear your voice. And we begin taking action on the things that you've called us to today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.